Hey, good morning, uh, FCF Church. Good to be with you again this morning. This is our final message in the series we've been calling Acing the Test, and the premise has been this. Uh, our loving Father, because He's a good Father, cares more about our character development than He does our momentary comfort. And so He takes us through tests slash trials. These trials can sometimes be unpleasant, usually are, and confusing, but they are always meant to be beneficial and developmental. I want to take you uh, on a little bit of a journey. It goes back a long way for me, 30 years back actually. I, 30 years back, I got the notion that, gee, I needed to take care of my body. You know, I was starting to, to get a little older and I wanted to stay in shape. So I joined a gym 30 years ago and I've been a gym person ever since, usually four days a week, sometimes five days a week. Anyway, when I first started going to the gym, I'd hear gym talk, man, and I didn't know what half the stuff meant, but you don't want to act stupid, so you kind of nod and act like you know what, what people are saying. But one of the things I'd hear people say is you need to go to failure, go to failure. And I think to myself, what, what do you mean go to failure? I'm, I'm in here to succeed. I want to get in shape. I don't want to fail, not get in shape. And as time went on, I finally learned uh, what it meant. And what failure, working to failure means is this. Whatever exercise you're doing, whether it's a curl or you know, you're doing a press, whatever it is, you continue to do it until you literally run out of strength and you can no longer do, in using proper form, you can no longer do even one repetition of the movement. That is working to failure. Now the reason for this is that it causes something called hypertrophy. Hypertrophy releases this mysterious process inside of us that causes development. In other words, when you work to failure, you trigger hypertrophy, that causes strength to develop. Strength that we didn't have, we start to have, and it changes us outward. Maybe we weren't toned, we start to get toned. Maybe we, we uh, develop a little size in our muscularity, if that's what we're after. So I want to read you a statement, because I think this is going to be important as this message goes on. I wrote this down, and I want to share it. Hypertrophy, spiritually speaking, means this. What I once was not, I now am. Think about it. You work to failure. What you once were not, you were not toned. You, you were not, you know, sizable in your muscles. You now are. What I once was not, I now am. Spiritual hypertrophy. What I once could not, what I once could not, I now can. In a gym, once again, when you work to failure, hypertrophy sets in and your strength increases. It's a pretty remarkable process. So tuck this concept of working to failure, of hitting the wall, so to speak, where you can't deal with anymore, you can't do anymore, but it's the secret to catalyze a developmental cycle that enables you and I to become what we once were not and to do what we once could not. Now I want to take you to a portion of scripture in the book of uh, in the New Testament, the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, I'm going to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're just going to read a few verses. I'm going to start you in chapter 1, verse 8. Now just a bit of background that will make sense later. Um, 2 Corinthians was written about 56 AD by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had been a follower of Jesus for 21 years approximately when he wrote this letter, when the Spirit of God prompted him to write it. Paul would live yet another 11 years after this as a follower of Christ, so tuck that away. He had already followed Jesus for 21 years. He would have yet another 11 years to go 
after he writes this letter in 56 AD. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm starting in verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our, our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened. Now, pause here for a minute. So, He's in this dire difficulty. He's under this pressure. He feels like he's, he's overwhelmed. He thinks maybe this is the end of his life, that he's literally going to be ruined, destroyed. But then it says, but this happened. Paul is now sharing something for the followers of Jesus that he was writing to then, and you and I to this day, and everyone in between. But this happened. In other words, he's saying God had a purpose in this. So let's read it with that in, in mind again. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Notice, why did this happen, Paul? Why did God allow this? So that I would learn not to rely, that you would learn not to rely on myself, on ourself, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. Notice, He delivered Paul from that pro uh, problem, uh, trouble-filled you know, life in Asia, and He says, and He will deliver me. Notice His confidence. He has delivered us, from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. And that's where I'll stop. So this is an amazing portion of Scripture. When I'm calling the reliance test, um, what does this reliance test look like? And this is the last in the series. Well, what does it look like? Well, Paul tells us pretty, pretty clearly it starts with difficulties. It starts with tremendous troubles. Paul says he, he was under pressure, overwhelming pressure, pressure to the point that he wondered, am I going to make it through this? Am I going to live? Am I going to be ruined? Am I going to be destroyed? He was literally thinking through the scenarios. If this is the end of me, what does it mean? Who am I? What, what happens next? He was literally contemplating Maybe my time is up. Maybe my mission is over. Maybe this is just the end. But he says, this happened to me. He learned. He's looking back now. He says, I learned this lesson. He had been a follower. Remind you, remind you, 21 years he had followed Jesus. He says, this happened so that I might not rely on myself, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, I, I was done, man. I was out of resources. I, I was a dead man. I had nothing left. I didn't know what to do. I felt helpless, felt vulnerable, felt beaten. I just can't help but to wonder how many of us have ever sat in that seat where we felt, I, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to say. I, I don't know what's going to happen next. I, I feel beaten. I feel done. I've, I've never felt so vulnerable. I never felt so broken. I never felt so completely torn down, torn up, destroyed. I don't know if there's any future. I, I don't know what happens next. I think my life as I've known it might be done. I wonder how many of us have sat in that seat before.
And it could be that even during this COVID-19 era, some of us for the first time have had to sit in this seat. Maybe economically we've, we've said, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive. Maybe mentally, physically, or emotionally. We, for the first time, we, we've met ourselves in an intense way and, and we just don't know if we're going to make it through this. It could be relationally. It could be that the intensity of the COVID experience has made some relationships collide in a way that they've never collided before because of proximity, perhaps. And you're wondering, everything seems to just be up in air in pieces, and you're wondering, is it over? Am I done? Is, is my relational life as I hoped it would be, thought it would be, is it over? Where, what happens next? What do I do? I don't have any ammunition. I don't have any solutions. I don't know what to do. That's what Paul was saying. That's what this test looks like. Folks, when our Father, our good, good Father, when He sees fit for us to partake of this test, this is the form it comes in. It is the most uncomfortable of all the trials, all the testings that we go through. This is not just troubles, problems per se. This is the intense problems, the intense troubles. These are the ones that bring us to that place where inside we feel like it might even be easier to die than it would be to continue to go on and live like this. But Paul goes on to say, he says, this, this happened, this happened, even though it brought me to the point of despair, this happened for a reason. God was involved. God, God was doing something good here, but you have to, and I have to, and Paul had, to stand fast. He had to see it through. And that is extraordinarily hard to do during these times because what we tend to do, we're used to taking up for ourselves, taking care of ourselves. We hit the panic switch. We start going through the survival scenarios. We start you know, looking at all the potential possibilities for escape, all the things we could do, probably shouldn't do. We, we start wondering, how can I escape? How can I get out of this? And Paul says, no, no, no. He says, what God really wants us to do is to just stand fast and stop relying on ourselves. Now, self-reliance is a noble thing. We all know that in one regard. We're, we're to be you know, responsible people. We're to be self-reliant to a certain degree. But God wants human beings to learn the way that He designed us to live. His loving heart designed us. He made us in His own image. And His loving heart wants to share the joy, the thrill, the excitement of experiencing His power, of partnering with Him, of us allowing His power to work in us and through us. We start learning it in this life on a very, very small scale. But man, we're going to learn it on an enormous scale in eternity. In eternity, God is going to continue to delegate all that He does in the universe. Whatever His plans for the future are, they will be delegated to His faithful humans and faithful angels. We were meant to be beings that partake of God's power, power we don't have. We were always meant to learn to rely on God, not rely on ourselves. And this is God's gift to us that we, we get to partner with God. We all know what it was like when we were little kids. We always wanted to, Mom, can I help you? Dad, can I help you? We, we wanted to do things. Well, this is our Father's way of training us. Self-reliance is good to a point. But God needs us to learn to truly, vulnerably, continuously, and especially when we hit these periods, these terrible dark periods, to learn to rely on Him. Paul goes on to say, 
God delivered him from that experience in Asia. He was confident he will deliver and he will continue to deliver him. So Paul indeed learned the experience. Now I want to read you a list of things in the same book, 2 Corinthians, that Paul went through. I've already shared with you when he wrote this, he had been a follower of Jesus for 21 years. He's going to have another 11 years as a follower of Jesus. But listen to this list. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. Bear with me. It's pretty, pretty long. He says in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11, Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Five times this man received 39 lashes. Folks, people died in some cases from 39 lashes. He received it five times. He goes on. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, listen to this carefully, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He learned in that passage, he says, this happened to me. Why was I overwhelmed? Why did I despair of life? Why did I think maybe my life was done? So that I would learn not to rely on myself, but in real time, real circumstances, real need of rescue to rely on God, to rely on God again and again and again. Now, mind you, this list Paul had accrued this list in just 21 years of following Jesus. He would live on another 11 years. He ends his career by being beheaded by Nero because of his refusal to stop trying to lead people to Christ. So, what does this test look like? It comes in the form of difficulty and despair, and it's not just everyday stuff, it's overwhelming stuff. So, let's ask the second question. Why? Or what does this test produce? Now we read, so that we would learn not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God. This is a beautiful thought, folks, when you think about it. Our God, the invisible but ever-present, the God that knows us from the inside out, who knows everything about us like no one else ever will, ever could, the God who is ever-watchful over us, He really wants us. He's saying, my children, I want you to learn to count on me. I want you to learn to count on me when you're all out of moves, when you are beaten, when you are done, when you are broken, when you are overwhelmed, when your heart is broken, when you're ready to quit, when you think it's the end. I want you to learn to cry out to me. I want you to learn to rely on me. You can count on me. I'll rescue you. I'll raise you back to life. 
And that's what God literally wants us. He wants us to, to learn, to really learn in real time, in real dire situations. We can count on God. He will always be faithful. He will never leave us and forsake us. Paul said, He delivered us then, He'll deliver us again, and He'll continue to deliver us. Folks, our God wants us to have that kind of confidence in Him that until our mission on this earth is through, that we are literally indestructible. Now, you read that list. When I say indestructible, that doesn't mean we aren't going to be battered and bruised. It doesn't mean we aren't going to go through hardships. You read that list of Paul's experiences. But Paul kept surviving. And Paul refused to stop serving Christ and refused to, to be stopped in any way. And that's the kind of power that God wants to infuse in us in this life. So what does this test produce? <laughs> the most obvious thing that it first produces in us is desperation. This is one of the tests. This is one of the trials. It moves us to that place of panic. It moves us to that place of absolute despair. We really are at the end of our rope. We're on the edge of the cliff. It takes us beyond where we are ever, ever comfortable being. There's a girl from Vienna, Virginia, and her name is Charlotte Heffelmeyer. She's 19 years, or she was 19 years old when this occurred. Back in January 2016, she was home just briefly from the Air Force Academy. Uh, she was home in, in her house in Virginia with her dad. Her dad was working on a Jeep truck, had it up on you know props in the garage, and it slipped off the props. Thank the Lord that Charlotte happened to be there. This 19-year-old girl sees her dad pinned under this Jeep truck. What is she going to do? On top of everything else, gasoline is draining out of the truck, and kid you not, you can find the article on your own, a fire breaks out. Her dad is pinned under the truck, a fire has now broken out, and a 19-year-old girl, what is she to do? Is she to stand there and watch her father die, this horrible, horrible death? This 19-year-old girl, who never, ever would have had a thought ever in her life, ever, of grabbing a truck and trying to lift it up off of her father did just that very thing. Somehow got this truck up to the point that she was able to get her dad out. She didn't even stop there. She got her dad, dragged him out to safety, got in the truck, drove it with wheels partially off. I think two wheels were off. Drove it out of the garage and then put out the fire and then called 911. <laughs> when they interviewed this kid, she said, you know, she said, I was in such a mental state that when I grabbed that truck, she said, I didn't feel any weight at all. She said, it just felt like nothing I was lifting. Now, you don't go around thinking about picking up trucks. You don't even think it's possible. You never would consider such a thing. But, follow me, follow me very carefully, but when you are in a desperate enough situation, something happens, you are brought to that point of failure and spiritual hypertrophy starts to kick in and new strength rushes in you, new boldness, new ability to lay hold of God, to cry out for His intervention, to plead for His power, to expect His power, to lay hold of Him in intense, audacious ways that on normal days we never would even dream of doing. And when we do this, when we do this, when we reach that point of despair, and in despair we cry out to God because there is no one or anything else that can save us. <clears throat> Power, strength, 
the ability to endure, the ability to make it through somehow, whatever it is, another day, another hour, another week, another month, to just keep on faithful to God, sticking to the task, sticking to the life of righteousness, waiting for God to continue to work. That power is infused in us. I, I think of a situation in the life of David. Most of us know about David, you know, that he killed Goliath, okay? And, you know, the big story is, you know, he takes his shepherd's sling and he kills this big giant. This guy's over nine feet tall and he's a warrior. He had been intimidating the Israelite army for 40 days. David shows up to deliver some food to his brothers and he hears this and he says, hey, why isn't somebody fighting this guy? Now, King Saul pulls David aside and he's like, you're just a boy. You can't fight this experienced warrior. And David says something very important. He says, let, let me tell you something, Saul. He says, here's the deal. He says, when I was out in the field shepherding my dad's sheep, one time a bear came along, and in order to protect the sheep, I got at it. I got into a struggle with the bear, and the Lord delivered me from the paw of the bear. He says, let me tell you something else, Saul. Another time I was out in the field with the sheep, and a lion came to attack the sheep. And I got into a scrap with that lion, and the Lord delivered me from the mouth of the lion. And then his words... He says to Saul, he says, the Lord, notice this, he's relying not on himself. The Lord that delivered me from the, the paw of the bear and the mouth of the lion, the Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Don't worry, I will go fight him. And of course, we know the rest of the story. You see, it was the desperation of being attacked by, by a bear, attacked by a lion, and now he was going to face off. What gave him the confidence to face off with Goliath? His previous experience of hitting desperation and being forced to do something that he could not do. He was no match for a bear. He was no match for a lion. But God, because he was being faithful to God, God intervened and empowered him to do what he could not do, to be what he would never be had he not reached that point of desperation. Some of you, you have been hating hating something in your life. You, you dread it. It's driving you crazy. It's breaking you down. You feel like you can't endure it much longer. You feel like it's ripping you to shreds. It's destroying you. And I'm here to tell you, it's not. Paul said, this happened. I despaired of life. I just wanted to die. I just thought I was going to die. I just thought my life was over. This happened. This happened, Paul says. And he says to me and he says to all of us, that I might learn not to rely on myself. I've got to reach that point of desperation, but to rely on the one that can even raise the dead. He can raise dead vocations. He can raise dead you know, careers. He can raise dead physical and mental and emotional health. He can raise dead relationships. He, he specializes in raising things that look like they're gone, they're destroyed, they're forever never going to be what they were meant to be. He specializes in this for those that learn not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on Him. Let me read you a portion of Scripture to show you how from cover to cover, God is so insistent upon us learning this lesson of reliance. This is from the third king of Judah. His name was Asa. In 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 11, and then 15, 4, he was being attacked by a massive army of Cushites, overwhelming force. Then Asa called to the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. In your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, 
You are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. And then he goes on to say, In their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him, and He was found by them. God loves it when we reach the point of desperation where we're out of thoughts. We don't know what to do. We're, we're done. And we cry out to Him with that intensity that the desperation of the situation creates in us. And He loves to show that He's a faithful God. He wants us to rely on Him. He doesn't want us to presume. There's a big difference, but, but the Spirit of God will never let us presume. I don't mean that we can just get ourselves in any kind of trouble we want and then think God's going to bail us out. No, Paul was undergoing the terrible ordeal in Asia because he was being faithful to God, not because he was being unfaithful to God. You and I might get into some dire circumstances from being unfaithful, but that's a whole different ballgame. That's not what this is about. So, think about this a little bit. The desperation leads, it led Paul to a discovery. He, he, was, he was undergoing distress. He was undergoing struggles, despair, and then desperation. But when he reached out to God in desperation, he discovered something. God really shows up. He really can deliver us. He really can rescue us. He really does intervene in real time. He really can infuse us with strength to somehow stand fast, not hit the panic button, not make the bad decision, not do that, that you know, panic scenario, that escape scenario that might be going through our head, but to just stay faithful for a little while longer. Paul experienced that God can actually infuse us with this kind of power. I think about a situation happening in the life of Moses. Um, most of you remember that when you know, God in, you know, encountered Moses and Moses said, you know, if I go to the Egyptians and tell them to let the people go there, they're not going to be impressed. They're not going to believe in me. So the Lord says to Moses, he says, what's this in your hand? And he says, well, it's a staff. And so the Lord says, well, throw it on the ground. And you remember, it's in Exodus chapter 4, he throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And then God says, pick it up, which was a real faith test. But he does, and it turns back to a staff. Then he says, Moses, put your hand in your, in your cloak and it comes out leprous. Put it back again, it was healed. Then he says, throw the staff down another time, and this time it, it turns water into blood. So he knows that God has taken a normal staff. It was Moses' staff to start with, and God's willing to infuse it with his power. So the Egyptians are chasing the Israelites down. They've left Egypt. They're backed up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh and all his army is coming. If you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments, you know the scene. So, Moses is in a panic. The people are in a panic. They're mad at Moses. Moses, they say, you brought us out here to have us slaughtered. And Moses says, no, 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 the Lord's going to deliver you. And so, the Lord says to Moses, this is really interesting. Read it on your own. It's in Exodus chapter 14. The Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? He says, stretch out your staff and open up the sea. And when I read that, it was kind of humorous to me. It's like, did, did Moses get a manual on the staff? I mean, you know, I, I know it, it could turn into a snake, and I know it could, you know, turn water to blood, but I didn't know it, he knew that it could open a sea. But, but here's the point. God, when He entrusts something to us, when we are for Him and He is for us, He wants us to be bold. He wants us to be courageous. He wants us to take risks. He wants us to go forward and not backward. He wants us to be unstoppable, unshakable in our faithfulness to Him, to His Word, to His will, to His ways, even in the face of what looks to be sure, impossible circumstances.
Listen to this passage of Scripture, Paul talking again in 2 Corinthians, once again, chapter 12. He says, speaking of a personal problem he had, he calls it a thorn in his flesh that God you know, would not take away. He says, but he said to me, meaning the Lord said to Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul learned the lesson. He says, the Lord delivered us from that terrible ordeal in Asia that we thought was a death trap. And He'll deliver us again, and He'll continue to deliver us. He wants you to know that is true for you today, you who are a faithful follower of Jesus. And He wants us to live with that kind of confidence in God. The God who will intervene, not just once, not just twice. He'll intervene through your whole life. He'll bail you out. He'll rescue you. He'll raise the dead. He'll take the impossible and make it possible. He'll empower you to do what you cannot do. He'll enable you to be what you cannot be on your own. And He will continue to do this until your mission, my mission, is over. And He wants us to live with that kind of confidence in Him, that kind of reliance on Him and not on ourself. I, I wrote a statement down as I get ready to close I want to read to you. God will enable me to endure what I cannot endure so that I will continue to do what I cannot do. He always wants you to not to do the impossible in His name. He always wants us to endure what we can't. We don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes to endure what we need to, and we don't have what it takes to do the things that we end up doing. Think back when Jesus fed the 5,000. It was kind of an interesting scene. He goes to his disciples. He says, hey, 5,000 men here, not counting the women and children, probably 15,000 people in all, feed them. Feed them. And they're like, Lord, we don't have anything to feed these people. And so he says, oh, well, rustle up some food. So they go to this little kid. They get this little kid's lunch. Why would Jesus ask his disciples for food? Why would he use the little kid's lunch? He takes it, you know the scene. He breaks it and he passes it to his disciples. His disciples pass it to this mob of people, maybe 12, 15,000 people. And it just keeps multiplying and multiplying and everybody gets well fed. God wants us to do the impossible, relying on His power, making ourselves potentially vulnerable and foolish, enduring what we cannot endure, doing what we cannot do in our own strength, and to live that kind of a supernatural life until our very last breath. That's what He calls us to do, and it's a life of amazing adventure. But remember, these are not pleasant experiences. Now, the interesting thing is, is when we go through enough of them, although they're never pleasant, um, we do gain our confidence in God. We, we're, we're there at that place again. We're at that wall where, God, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm scared. I don't know what's next. Maybe this is the end. And we cry out to Him again, and He rescues us again and again and again. Let me close with a thought. In California this past week, uh, some of the largest forest fires have been raging. Uh, they were started by lightning strikes, multiple lightning strikes. I think it was over 600 fires, the biggest fires to my knowledge that we've ever had in this country raging out there. Now, 
as these fires are raging, they're, they're going to take massive amounts of acreage or forest and it's going to just be leveled, devastated, um, non-existent. And it looks like death. It looks like it's going to remain devastated, who knows, maybe forever. But here's the interesting thing. In nearly all of these forests, there grows this one particular tree and it's called a lodgepole pine. Now here's the fascinating thing about the lodge. <laughs> at the lodgepole pine. The lodgepole pine has a cone and within the cone are seeds but the seeds of the lodgepole pine and the cone are very stubborn. Uh, the cone won't release the seeds. It'll hang on a tree sometimes for years and years. In fact, the seeds will never be released so that they can grow more trees unless, unless they are exposed to intense heat. When I say intense heat, I mean like a forest fire. And so all of these forest fires that are raging and look like they're doing permanent devastation, God has already anticipated that these cycles of upheaval are going to go and He's made a way to, as it were, raise the dead. To take from what looks like a devastation, what looks like ruin, He's going to bring new life. He's going to bring new beauty. He's going to change the scenery. He's going to, going to let weakness go away, be burned away, and he's going to bring back strength. The lodgepole pine experience God wants for you and I. He wants us to accept the fires, the fiery trial that brings us to that place of desperation and brokenness to where we think it might be the end that, that we don't know. This could be the ruin of what I call life. And he wants to bring us to that place where in desperation and boldness, the only place we can get this kind of boldness, we cry out to God. We beg his intervention now and we will see, you will see, I know it by multiple years of experience, you will see, trust me on this, as Paul said, he did deliver us, he will deliver us, he will continue to deliver us. That is true for Paul then, it's true for you and I now. When we are faithfully following the Lord Jesus, when we are living in His will, in His word, doing His work, devoted to His kingdom, to His people, to His church, you can count on it. Your God will rescue you and from the fire, the, what looks to be devastating, He will bring forth new life. He will expand your capacities. He will expand your ability to do things. You'll learn to do things in a different way. You'll have new strength. You'll have new opportunities. New life will come forth from what seem to be destructive, ruinous experiences. And it's all because you and I finally learned not to rely on ourselves, but on our good and our faithful and our ever true God and Father. Will you pray with me, FCF? Father, you know every heart here today and you know some of us are right at that place, that place of utter despair. May your spirit give this word in a very personal way to that person that needs it the most to know that you're the God that waits to raise us, as it were, back from the dead, back from ruin, back from emptiness, back from what we think is surely the end and bring new beginnings. May you give them that confidence to learn to rely on you. Father, if there's anyone here that, that they've maybe shortchanged their own life because they simply insisted on relying on themselves instead of putting their trust in you and relying on the Lord Jesus. May this be the day that, that some, maybe for the first time, genuinely put their trust in Jesus, rely on Him and become His follower. It's in Christ's name I pray.
Amen.